Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Scripture today is from Paul's first letter to the Ephesians, his only letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 8 through 20. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to be with you all. My name is Mark. I'm the pastor here. We are in a series called Learning to Breathe, which is a series where we're exploring our relationship with the Spirit of God. And uh, this week, we're building off of last week's theme, which was walking in the Spirit. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Last week, we talked about how we are no longer guided by empty religion or by uh, destructive, selfish desires, but we are now set free to walk with the Spirit and to have a friendship with the Spirit. And that idea of walking the Spirit can mean a lot of different things to a lot, a lot of different people, but for us, it was this idea that the Spirit of God is with us, it's deeply inside of us, like the air we breathe, and it's empowering us to have a friendship with the Spirit. And if we do walk with the Spirit, we will have these fruits that will come from our life, which is like the natural byproduct of a life with God. And these are Fruits like peace and joy will begin to emerge from our life. Patience and gentleness is just a natural byproduct of walking and keeping companionship with the Spirit. So this week, we're going to take it a step further and consider what does it mean for the Spirit to guide our decisions and lead our life, rather than just like kind of a general idea of what does it mean to walk with the Spirit. We're going to be talking about how the Spirit nudges and prompts our lives with particular decisions and actions. Um, And so in in some ways, what we were talking about this week is how do we discern the Spirit's leading in our lives? Now, if I'm honest, this is the sermon I am most nervous giving in this whole series. Because when people start talking about how God is telling them to do certain things, it gets funky quickly, right? Right? You don't have to like watch too many documentary series about cults to realize that this is an essential piece of the recipe, having a person saying like, God has now told me, and you know, there's a part of that we'd laugh about, but then there's also really, really, really dangerous things that come through that, like it's just an essential part of it, like God has now told me, I need a private jet, thus saith the Lord, 
I mean, I have a direct connection to God. You guys don't, okay? You don't understand, but this is what God has told me. You know, we just, we are surrounded by that in more subtle ways as well. In my own life, I have seen this take place. Uh, a friend of mine, Fabs, who's on staff, she and I were joking around this week about how this gets funky. And we laughed and we cringed together about the different ways in our own lives that we've experienced this. You know, I've had certain people say, well, you know, like, I feel like God's really telling me for you to do this certain thing. And my response is, well, tell God to tell me, you know, like, you, we, can, we can have a conversation too. Or I've had certain people flake out on certain commitments and they're just like, I don't feel like God's calling me to this anymore. So, you know, like, okay, cool, 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 cool. It's just hard when you're talking to someone and discerning this in your own life when someone puts down the God card, like God told me card, it's hard to have a dialogue. It's hard to like really explore and discern anything else after that. Fabs asked me if I personally had misused God's leadership in my life. And I was like, no, never. But then guys, I remember I did it in the worst way, which is playing the God card in a breakup. It's the worst, the worst. You can judge me, it's true, I did it. I was going to break up with someone. We started having this dialogue about why it's not working out, and she kept asking me, but why, but why? And I finally said, God's told me, God's told me, and if it were up to me, we would be together forever. <laughs> but, you know, there's someone you have to take this up with, and it has nothing to do with the fact that you're super needy and crazy and I have a crush on your roommate. It has nothing. <laughs> to do with that at all. Uh, it gets tricky, but you know, being people of Scripture, we kind of have to believe in it. We kind of have to believe that God does lead us in particular decisions. If we were to read the book of Acts in particular, we can't get around that reality that the Spirit does tell people to do certain things. Like this divine orchestrator, the Spirit is at work with dreams and plans and desires that the Spirit has for people's life. One of my favorite examples of that in the book of Acts is this beautiful story about a disciple named Philip and a man from Ethiopia. This person from Ethiopia traveled all the way to Jerusalem, and we believe the reason why is because he was deeply curious about experiencing God. And so he was a learned person. He was someone of prominence and power in Ethiopia, so he took that that opportunity to travel all the way to Jerusalem to see the temple and to see, in fact, what, the, what he was reading about in the, this Jewish text that he had access to. Now, whether he knew it or not, this man could not be further from inclusion in the Jewish community. He was ethnically and racially the other. He was religiously um, suspect, but there was even a, a deeper scar that he had uh, in Ethiopia, because of the proximity that he had towards the queen, he was a eunuch. Now, I know last week I made some inappropriate jokes, so uh, this week I'm not going to make any eunuch jokes. Uh, I just don't have the material this week. So, for those who don't know, eunuchs, either by choice or involuntarily, uh, they were castrated because of their proximity to the queen. Uh, and if it wasn't enough... When he came to, to Jerusalem, he experienced a deeper kind of pain. In the Old Testament law, it was actually prescribed that eunuchs were not to be a part of the community of God. So eunuchs were never allowed into the temple. 
They were excluded religiously and socially into the, in the people of God. Uh, they were excluded from full participation of what it meant to be God's people. And so this man was on the other side of the fence, racially, even sexually, and ethnically. And so Acts, it tells this story about how this man was on his way home. Like he had already tried, already went there. He's now on his way home, and his trip was about to take a different turn. Why? Because the Spirit had some plans. This eunuch was reading the Old Testament on his way home. He was in a chariot, and it just so happened he was reading the book of Isaiah, which is really unique because in Isaiah, it foretells a time where God will start grafting people in who were excluded, and God is gonna start grafting them into the people of God. This is a quote from Isaiah 56, and I wonder if this is why the eunuch was reading through Isaiah. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who... Um, who obey what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give uh, to the, within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Think of what that promise must have meant to this man who ex experienced exclusion, being second-class and third-class citizen in so many ways, especially with this longing to meet with God and for there to be uh, dismissal, for there to be a wall in front of him. Now, while he was thumbing through Isaiah, meanwhile, God had told Philip to go and wait in this particular location. And while waiting in this place, this is what we find in verse 29. The Spirit said to Philip, notice the Spirit is at work, the Holy Spirit, the same one that fell on the disciples chapters earlier, now the Spirit is telling Philip, go over and join this chariot. And so, doing the awkward thing, Philip starts running alongside this chariot, and he ran to him, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, excuse me, none of my business, but do you understand what you're reading? And this eunuch said to him, how can I, unless someone guides me? And then he invited Philip to come up in the, and sit with him in the chariot. And what were the words that this man was trying to understand? It was this quote. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shears is silent, so opens not his mouth. In humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And eunuch, and this, uh, this eunuch asked Philip, who is this piece talking about? Who is this writing talk about? And with this beautiful sacred orchestration, this eunuch finds the solution for all the spiritual hunger and seeking, not in a temple, not in a far-off destination, but his solution was in Jesus, who was finding him on the road of emptiness and rejection. The Spirit was at work to find him here and there, not off in some sacred, far-off destination, but accessible. He thought that to be a good person mean to be religious and seek out what was truth, but the reality is that God was seeking him out. And this eunuch hears the fact that Philip is saying, this is about good news of Jesus, and, and he talks about who Jesus is, and I love how the eunuch responds to us. His response when he hears this good news, and it's someone for just like him, 
the eunuch responds immediately and he says, he sees some water along the road. I, I almost imagine, you know, when you drive on the highway and when we're not in a drought, there'll be like just pools of water along the highway and he sees a little body of water and he says, here is some water. What prevents me from being baptized? I mean, he's so used to being prevented from things and it's right here. The truth of the gospel's with him. Philip is here. This water is here and he says, hey, how about here? How about now? This God's sacred presence is along this highway as much as it is in that temple. And so he's baptized. And I think the Spirit wants to show off a little bit more. And this is what happens right after this. And when they came up from the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. He gone. Like he's just, he's just gone. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. This eunuch's life would never be the same because of two things. One, the spirit actively sought him out. But secondly, it's because also there was a person named Philip who wanted to hear and to follow the spirit's leading. And because of those two things, the gospel came to this person whom thought that he was outside of the people of God. And the story of the early church, and especially the book of Acts, displays the spirit that is, the Spirit is actively guiding and instructing people in what to do. You know, the, when, we, when we say the book of Acts, there's actually a fuller name for that book. Some people call it the Acts of the Apostles. Other people call it, this is the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And the reality is, it's both of those things. There's this beautiful partnership that God wants to have when people are partnering with the Spirit to see the kingdom of God come closer and closer into this world. This was what we find in the book of Acts, and the world was changed because of it. Now, you and I, we might read the stories of Acts, and we have an honest question that we're, we're dealing with. And that question is, if that happened then, why doesn't it happen now? If I can read the stories of all these experiences of these people way back then, then why does my life seem so distant from these encounters? One thought I have is in my limited exposure, a spiritual life void of the spirit moving you powerfully is uniquely American and Western. Friends who are serving overseas, people who are, are serving outside of America, they have a lot of these encounters in their presence. And it, that actually for me is a little bit even more disturbing because why is it? Why is it the fact that we are, are not experiencing these kind of encounters with the Holy Spirit? It seems as if in our world, in our spiritual life, this Holy Spirit is a very supporting role, but in other places and in church history, the Holy Spirit is the primary player in the spiritual life for both the individual and for the church. And I think that we need to have an honest search of our hearts and our minds for why the Spirit is so absent. I think obviously sometimes for us in our life, the 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 practice of the Holy Spirit, looking for the Holy Spirit, being led by the Spirit is, is, uh, is absent because we've seen abuses that have taken place. It's that there's ways in which people have uh, taken the, the, the charisma of the Spirit and leaders have made it into something else. But I think there are other reasons why we relegate or put off discerning the Spirit in our life. A couple examples or potential ways that people why we re relegate the spirit in our life is that we over-spiritualize it. I know that sounds confusing, but I think oftentimes um, 
we make the Spirit's leadership into something grandiose and dramatic where if that, something like that has to happen, then these huge dramatic miracles have to take place. And I actually do believe the miracles do play, take place. But I also think the Spirit is at work in the subtleties of our day just as much. To submit to the Holy Spirit means that we move our preferences and our immediate inclinations under the reality that God has a will and a longing for our days. So one of the most simple things that I think we can do into seeing and discerning the Spirit more in our life is that we surrender our decisions and re reactions to the Spirit's leading. A couple years ago, a friend of mine named Gideon shared a prayer with me uh, that I've kept with me for years. And it was this prayer that he had. He said, in my life, I feel like God has been inviting me into saying this prayer, which is, God, grant me the grace to notice the space between stimulus and response. When a friend or a family member or a coworker says something and you have an immediate response to it, emotional response, something just kind of ramps you up, uh, this prayer, which I think is beautiful, is God, Grant me the space, the grace to notice the space between stimulus and response. And that space right there is where we can be led and guided by the Holy Spirit. That we can actually pause and discern how might God want me to respond in this moment. I think so much of de-escalation is that. Is when we realize that we actually have the agency to respond, and specifically as a follower of Jesus, the agency given to us by the Spirit to choose how, it, how we should respond in that moment. And I think if we are, are going to step into the role of peacemakers in our world, we have to learn to live like this. That's a subtle way of us learning to submit and discern what the Holy Spirit has for our life, is to be people of pause, to be people of pause. I know it seems small, but this is essential for a life with the Spirit. So that's one reason I think many of us have relegated the Spirit. We expect it in such the grandiose things, but I think that is such a pivotal part of being led by the Spirit. Another way that I think we relegate uh, discerning the Spirit is we are already being led by other things. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which we heard earlier, he's trying to paint a picture of how to live well. In Ephesians 5, he quotes what some believe is a song that was popular in that day, a worship song, he said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I think it's powerful that whether 2,000 years ago or today, it is easy to go through life half awake, like half awake to the world and to life and the reality that we are here breathing. And here Paul is saying, wake up. Then he says this, be careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Holy Spirit, wake you up. May the, may the Holy Spirit wake you up to realize that life is slipping past us. But then he says this, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. That's our process of discerning, understanding what the Lord's will is. Then he says this, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul's concern was that the people, the people of God were missing out on knowing and experiencing God's will. And what is the culprit that he's wanting to point out here? It's drinking too much wine. Now, I know the whiskey and beer and tequila drinkers right now are like, whew, that was a close one. I know there's also a lot of literalists, like biblical literalists here, like, no, 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 it says wine. It says wine for a reason, right? But notice, I think it's about drunkenness. 
And the fact that drunkenness deadens us to understand how to be directed by the Spirit. It's about being under the influence of something else and that makes us go half asleep, mentally, emotionally, at our soul level, to be, uh, to be under the influence of something else. Instead, he says what? It's not just do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul's wanting the people to be filled and intoxicated by God's presence and God's Spirit. I don't just think this goes for alcohol, by the way. I think if Paul were here today, maybe he would say this. Do not be filled with social media. Do not be obsessed with approval. Do not be distracted by your devices. Do not over-identify with partisan tribes. Do not be numbed by consumerism. All of these things are influences that are far from the kingdom of God. All of these are influences that have this capacity to make us partly asleep. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let it revive you and wake you up. May it intoxicate you. May it be filled. I was at a wedding yesterday. You know how it is at, towards the end of the wedding when the wine is starting to flow and the ties go up here and people are dancing. It's like you're under this influence. I think the Holy Spirit, there's a reason why there's, this, there's a connection between drunkenness and being filled with the Spirit is you start caring less about all the small things. This is what it means to walk in the Spirit, be filled by the Spirit. And Paul is saying, wake up. Don't be led by other things, but discern the Spirit. That's the second way I feel like we relegate it. And the third reason why we relegate the Holy Spirit and discerning the Holy Spirit is because of fear. I believe this is the big one. I think many of us are afraid of what does it look like to be led by the Spirit. I think it's fear of failure, of like trying to, trying to step out when you feel like God has told you to do something and you miss the mark, you know? Or it's fear of, in fact, what might God be calling you to do? As if God wants you to surrender things, comforts, desires, and longings that you have uh, for something that's really, really hard. I think for us, what, what we have to move through when it comes to fear is trust. When I read the Gospels, I see Jesus Longing not just to move people into uncomfortable places for entertainment. What Jesus is doing is moving people towards that which matters the most. And so for us to really dis to believe that we can discern the Spirit's leadership in our life, we have to learn to trust the heart of God. The Spirit doesn't want anything other for, for you than other than your good to move you into significance and deep joy that's not measured by the, by, by the way the which, which the world does in this, in this way. But instead, the, what we have to do is trust the heart of God to understand that, that the Spirit of Jesus is going to lead us to everything that we need and do that which truly matters. So this week, we're going to do the hard work of actually believing that the Spirit wants to lead us in our life. Like we're going to, as we are a practice-based church, we're going to actually move from being uh, the idea of walking in the Spirit, to this week we're going to actually believe that the Spirit wants to nudge and direct us in our lives. Because this is so foreign, I just want to share some suggestions and ways in which we can take steps in discerning the Holy Spirit, okay? By the way, just internally right now, I just want you to just measure your own comfort with the idea that the Spirit wants to lead you. 
We're not going to do a hand-raising thing or anything like that. But I'm just curious. Like, when you actually think that the Spirit wants to lead you and guide you in your life, like, what emotional response do you have? Of anticipation, of joy, of excitement, or of nervousness? Things getting a little bit kooky, a little too woo-woo for you, you know? So let's step out into courage, believing that perhaps the Spirit of Jesus wants to do this in our life. I want to just provide some suggestions these are just invitations to take steps in discerning the Spirit's leadership in your life. For me, it's begin by assuming that the Spirit will not lead you at all times. I believe that God frees us up to choose many ways how to live well. There are times where, in my own life, where I was stuck waiting for God to tell me what to do. It was, when I was in college, I was choosing between two different camps to work at in the summer. I spent a whole day with two slips of paper, and I'd walk through my day, and they're like, all right, whatever name comes out, on these, one of these, I'm going to choose one of these pieces of paper, whatever name it is, I'm going to work at this camp. And I kept pulling it out, and I'm like, oh, God, okay, I'm going to go there. And then I just didn't feel right about it. And after a while, I was just like, God, why aren't you leading me? And I think God was like, make a choice. <laughs> like, you know, like, I'm going to be with you either place. I'm, if, do you want to serve me? Do you want to love me? Of course. Okay, what do you want to do? And sometimes that's a harder question, right? I actually experienced the same thing when I was trying to discern whether or not to propose to Jen. As something as big as that, I wouldn't, God wouldn't instruct me. But I actually believe that God gives us the agency to make choices, believing that God's will is oftentimes broad, meaning like, is this fitting in line with the way of Jesus? Does this align with the counsel of Scripture? Have you processed it with other people? Okay, then how about you make your own decision and go with me, go with Christ, and remain open to the Spirit. There are times for us where we need to know that God will not lead us in every certain way, but will walk with us as we are trying to discern the right way to live. The second thing that for me I think is a helpful step for us in walking with the Spirit is to understand that sometimes we can see the Spirit's leadership in the small things. I call these the nudges. Sometimes for me, when I sense the Spirit is telling me to do something, it's not in dramatic or bizarre things. It's just a small nudge. For instance, sometimes when I'm in prayer, God will bring a person to mind. And for me, I believe that's a prompt to pray for them, but that's also a prompt for me to reach out to them later that day to say, hey, Mac, I just want you to know that you came to mind today in prayer and just I lift up you in lifted you up in prayer today. And oftentimes it's like, cool, Mark, thanks. But there are other times where it's like, you have no clue what happened to me today. What time was that at? Wow. Like it's, there's times where I believe the Holy Spirit does make this happen where it's these little nudges that we are saying yes to. Uh, it's often in the small obediences where we get to share where our heart is. And it's also in the small obedience where our faith grows. Our connection with the Spirit grows just a little bit more. Beautiful example of this is um, years ago, some women in Westlake had a Bible study. And sometimes they would have leftover donuts at their Bible study. Instead of throwing them away, they remember that there were some day laborers on 2nd Street in downtown. And so one of the women felt a nudge to drop off these donuts downtown for these individuals. And so they, she made her way down to 2nd Street. And so I've heard, when she got here that first time, she pulled up with a bunch of donuts, and she cracked the window enough to slide the donut out. 
And then she lifted the, the, you know, rolled it up and then took off. Next week, the same thing happened. And week after week, this continued and the windows were going lower and lower as the weeks continued on. After, after a while, it was Thanksgiving time and they thought, hey, let's do more than donuts. And so they made this huge Thanksgiving meal and they brought all these people out to Westlake that were living downtown. And then they began to think, why are we busting them out to Westlake to feed them? Why don't we go to them? And slowly, step by step, this thing was beginning to blossom as the small steps of obedience were happening. And that is how this organization called the Foundation for the Homeless here in Austin began. Small steps along the way. And now this is this robust nonprofit serving thousands and thousands in our city since 1989. A small obedience, a small nudge, a small yes, like a mustard seed, something that only the Spirit could do. So understand that sometimes God's leadership in our life will be over the small things, but it's in the small steps where we get to grow with God. Number three is beware the Spirit is not always considerate of our comfort zone. Your comfort zone is not the primary uh, concern for the Spirit's work in our life. When you read the book of Acts, the Spirit is usually moving people to do the things that they don't want to do, moving them beyond their comfort zone to experience the joy of meeting Jesus when we are not in control. Unlike how many pastors or people misuse the being guided by the Spirit for name it and claim it theology or prosperity gospel, following the Spirit of Jesus in Scripture was usually costly, costly. And the thing it cost people was their control and their comfort. Yet they found a different metric of significance and beauty and goodness. I'm reminded of Paul's words through his apprentice Timothy. This is 2 Timothy 1.7. He was telling his young apprentice this, "For uh, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. This is what the Spirit wants to do in us. It wants us not to be timid people, but to move us to being people of great power and love and self-discipline. If we want to follow the Spirit's guidance, we will need to be willing to live a life full of boldness and not timidity. So in my own life, I play a lot of pickleball. I know, hold the applause. Um, But do you know who loves pickleball? Lesbians. I have met so many awesome lesbian people in my life because they love pickleball and we play a lot of pickleball together. And in my friendship with uh, a lot of these friends, many of them have expressed deep, deep hurt at the hand of the church. And um, after like knowing them for months, they'll find out that I'm a pastor and their response usually is this, really? Really? And it's not because I'm like swearing and mean. They just didn't expect me to be a pastor. In particular, after a month ago, you know, this one couple, we were walking back to our cars after playing, and one of them said, so why in the world are you a pastor? And I knew that was like I was entering into sacred space, and there was more behind that question than saying, so Steve, why are you a structural engineer? Like I knew it was like a deeper question than that. Um, so I thought for a second, and I didn't want to be pushy, and I didn't want to be, like, preachy, and so I said, I'm a pastor because I love my church, and I bragged about you. I bragged about the grace and the kindness that you have and embody, and 
talked about just the beauty of what it is to experience uh, this community together. And they were like, okay. And then uh, I got to the car, and when I sat there, I was like, something doesn't feel right. Something didn't seem right about that. And I, I thought, myself, why, why, is this not, why is this not sitting well in my soul? And I was like, oh, it's because I wasn't honest. <laughs> I'm not a pastor because of you. The honest truth. I might, maybe I'm still a pastor here because of you, because I love you guys so much. But I'm a pastor because I actually believe it's true. Like, I actually believe that Jesus is alive and his claims and his promises are true and it's teaching us the best way to live. And, and I didn't want to be preachy. And so I said, Oh, I just love our church. Because I didn't want to actually say to, to them that. The same goodness that I've experienced in my own life, the same truth that I've experienced in my own life, I think is actually for you too. And I didn't sit there in my car and beat myself up. You know, it's good for me to, to remember that one of the most common names for the devil in Scripture is the accuser. And a name that we find for the spirit is an advocate. And in our lives, there are times where we are going to experience, like, is this the voice of an advocate on my behalf reminding me who I am? Or is this a voice of an accuser uh, giving me shame and guilt in my life? And so it wasn't the voice of an accusation. It was the voice of someone saying, Mark, there's something truer to what you could have said. And it's this advocate who is reminding me who I am and what the good news of the gospel is. And I think for us, for me, it was just a small moment of saying, I just need to be more discerning about the Spirit's role in my life. And sometimes we see the role of the Spirit looking back. Uh, But the reality is the Spirit is wanting to do one thing in our life, and it's to wake us up, to move us to be people who are following the Spirit with all courage and attentiveness. And I truly believe that this is not just something we should relegate to the book of Acts and not something we should offhand to other people, but that the Spirit wants to lead and guide you. If you are willing with all boldness and attentiveness, know that the Spirit is meeting you throughout your days to lead and to guide you in small things and big things, to wake you up to to the reality that life is short and the best way to live is by following the Spirit of Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus means to be a follower of the Spirit. Jesus would find it bizarre that we have separated those two things. To follow Jesus means that we are called to follow the Spirit because that's how Jesus lived. That is how Jesus lived. And that's a tradition that we are in today. I know it gets messy and clunky to discern the Spirit's leadership, but that is a part of faith. And that is part of being a community, is discerning that together. We have this privilege to figure this out with one another. You are not meant to go through your own life on your own resources from your own intellect, but the Spirit is here wanting to open yourself, open yourselves up to his presence and his Spirit. So my prayer for us this week is that we would be filled by the Spirit, be moved by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, because the Spirit is at here and at work in our, our lives and our community. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.